Hello and welcome to the Rednets, the official podcast of Empire the Cop. Joining me as ever is, of course, Steve Carson and Rick Elliott and myself, Farrell Keeling. Uh, so Liverpool find themselves at the top of the league, courtesy of Manchester City's away victory at title favourites uh, Chelsea. Despite ourselves having only earned a point at, uh, the Brentf- at Brentford, courtesy of a six-goal thriller. A lot to unpack here. So Mo Salah got a major milestone, uh, made another major milestone in his Liverpool career with the 100th Premier League goal in a red shirt. And there was another spectacular effort uh, from one of our own, uh, from 20-year-old Curtis Jones. What did you make of it all, Steve? It was a very enjoyable game, wasn't it? You know, um, I thought, and I, t- I always talk about him in, in such regard, but Curtis Jones, he, every single time he plays, he impresses me. You see people online giving him a bit of grief, and I have no idea what they're seeing. They, they must be looking at a different player, because he's he special. Mo Salah, he's at that point now where like you expect him to do this, but it can't be taken for granted, the performances that Mo Salah puts in week in, week out. It's unbelievable. Um Obviously, the big downside is the fact that we sort of capitulated in defence, um, which is disappointing to see. Um, but Brentford this season, it, it's not as simple as just looking at a team that's been promoted. We're, look, we're looking at a team here who's you know who's done a number on Arsenal, one of the best informed teams in the league, and they've got that. I think we saw that a little bit from Leeds last year where they came up and people really didn't know how to deal with them too much. They're sort of one of those surprise packages. So I don't look too much into it. At the end of the day, like you said at the beginning, we are top of the table. It was an exciting game. Certainly exciting for our, uh, to see our uh, attacking side of the game. So, so impressive. and But obviously disappointing that we did lose the lead twice after bouncing back from... Um, uh, the game, but yeah, no, I am wholly impressed with the team. Um, I don't think we are going to be as defensively soft as we are in other games. Again, I think that comes with the unpredictability of uh, Brentford. Now, you've touched on the uh, defending aspects of the game, and you know it has to be said there were some really sort of good moments, sort of last defending at both ends of the pitch. You know, I believe Matip cleared one off the line. Same for Brentford. Um, Rick, Rick, what did you make of of Brentford? Because obviously they've been um, an impressive. Uh, feature in, the, in this in the this season of the Premier League. Yeah, I don't. I think it's similar to what Steve said. Like they they just have this this quality about them. Like there's so you can kind of put promoted teams into to one of two baskets. You can either say that they you know relegation fodder and they're just going to go right back down, like they're just you know up for one season and then back down again, or they have that quality that you see in like leads that you saw in uh in wolves when they came up where it's just this sort of hunger and like the it's the style of play the very sort of like attacking style of play it's it's you know i i if they are like relegated at the end of the season i'll be very surprised um they they just i i think they have something in them that will that will keep them up um, it's that sort of like never say die attitude that I don't think many many teams that even though they've they've achieved what they wanted to achieve and come up from the championship, you know, there's some teams you just see this like level of hunger that is 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 a bit more than 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 others, um, and it helps that the, the style of football that they play you know feeds into that. Um, but in terms of the in terms of this game for Liverpool, it kind of felt like a, a 13-14 season game, uh, very much end to end stuff. There was like a strong attacking presence, but there was some woeful defending at times. Uh, I don't think that Van Dyke is is fully up to speed 
Um, it, it just it felt a little bit off the pace, a little bit. Um, you could definitely get, definitely do better. Um, it's probably one of his worst performances in a long time for Liverpool. Um, uh, but I mean, he did put in a great last ditch tackle, um, and there was a you know. <sighs> The overall, we we sort of came came back so many times, um, and we took the lead um, with a. I mean, the 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 Jota goal, the cross from Henderson was just like you know that that goal in itself is just like probably is if it isn't up for goal of the month, then you know I'd be very disappointed or very shocked that there's been goals that have surpassed that because you know it's a, it was a stunning sort of cross and header glanced glanced in uh, taking it beyond the keeper um you know like you mentioned Salah getting his 100th goal for Premier League goal for Liverpool quickest uh, quickest to do so um I mean the, that the, the VAR decision off that uh was just a, I mean so I had a I had a stream obviously because it's a three o'clock oh, no it wasn't three o'clock I thought it was late, late on one day um but I had, a, I had a stream on and um it was a you know it's a little bit of a delay and uh, so I was getting notifications on my phone as well. I have like several apps that are all giving notifications through. And, uh, you know, the, I had one that was saying it was in, one that was saying it had been disallowed, another one that had corrected itself and said it'd been disallowed completely. And that was it. There was like another one that said it had gone in and it being VAR. I, I just didn't know what happened until like the stream had caught up with itself. So, you know, overall, it was like, you know, it, it was a very confusing game uh you know it's some of the goals were great for both it's very entertaining for the neutral like it's probably one of the best matches that i think the neutral have seen this season like it's just yeah it's just a shame that we we only came away from a, from it with a point i think that complements brentford um you know the, the, that's a hard fought point for them and you know all credit to them because you know it was they play some great football absolutely absolutely and uh to touch back on uh, Mo Salah, we should absolutely spend some time in after getting his 100th Premier League goal for Liverpool, which is uh, the quickest to do it in, uh, well, uh, the only quicker to do that w- would be Alan Shearer, uh, Harry Kane, and of course, Sergio Aguero. So Salah reached that figure after 151 Premier League games for Liverpool. You know, but but then I suppose that there has been criticism for Mo. You know, he, he was perceived to be wasteful. He did indeed have perhaps a couple of chances that he should have, he would have normally put away if he was at his absolute best. And I think, uh, interestingly, a cop after the game uh, spoke about Salah and he said, uh, probably the next target is to be the quickest player ever who scored 150 goals. That's the situation, but of course, absolutely outstanding achievement. Steve, um, it's going to take Salah about, I think, 48 goals in less than 48 games to break Alan Shearer's record. Quite a tough task, but uh, do you reckon he's up for the challenge? (sighs) If anyone can, Mo can. But um, that is a mighty task. Um, you know, I, I think oh, it's, a, it's a tough one. Um, yeah, I think he'll come close. I think he'll come very close. Um, but to be fair, the amount of records that Salah now possesses after a few years in the Premier League is unbelievable anyway. So if he, if he misses out on that, while being a winger is... Uh, is still very mighty impressive. Uh, certainly, he will uh, top many uh, Liverpool uh, records, uh, and certainly as well um, African football records as well. Because I know he's he's closing in on Didier Drogba, I believe. Um, if he hasn't already surpassed uh, the numbers, uh, fail me slightly. No, he hasn't. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, we we have a video just like 
on standby ready to go for when for when that happens um but no not not i've actually had to go in and add yeah yeah add the other day's uh record to the list yeah he, he is the egyptian messi really uh, i know that was a nickname that was given to him during this basil days but that is what he is and there's there's people i see um like bleacher report and espn fc they put out tweets sometimes asking if it's time to consider salah their best player in the world ahead of neymar and to be honest with you he's, he's He's been better than Neymar for a number of years now. He he is the third best. Yeah, I I I I I wouldn't have considered Neymar to be third best in what two three seasons now. Mm. No, the numbers are phenomenal, aren't they? You know, you almost think he is. You know, he is he is appreciated as a world class talent, but even then, he's still underrated to a certain degree. Would you reckon, Steve? Yeah, I, th- I think I think a lot of people do put him in the wrong brackets. Like, um, obviously, Messi and Ronaldo are kind of in their own sort of alien bracket because they're just ridiculous footballers that will, you know, grace the Hall of Fame for for, for all of time. The likes of Pele and and Maradona, Cruyff and uh, Puskas. But um, I think Salah probably could be in that conversation if he keeps going. Uh, certainly, he will be uh, in Liverpool and in Egypt uh, and the whole continent of um, of Africa and, and Europe. Uh, to, to be perfectly uh, clear on that, um, yeah, I mean, he's it, it, one of one of the best players I've ever seen. Uh, certainly, one of the best players Liverpool's ever had. He is one of the best players the Premier League's ever seen. He's an absolute phenomenon. No, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anything. Oh, sorry, Rick. Uh, I was going to say, for for me, it's the fact that he's a winger. More people need to to stop and take notice that like he's he's creeping up on the on the list against all of these wonderful strikers, and he's a winger. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, players like Eden Hazard as well have obviously been world class, but have, have fell off in recent years. And players like Eden Hazard get com- and Neymar get compared to Salah, but for me, he's a league above them. Uh, just to sort of touch on what I was saying there about um, uh, Messi and Ronaldo being in that sort of freak category, I think Salah is in the cusp just below, threatening to be in in that league. There, he's certainly not in the same league as the likes of Eden Hazard and, and Neymar. Is is above them? He's he's much better than than uh, than they've ever been. It's the sustainability of it all as well. Like he's he's uh, he's done it season after season after season. He's the greatest one season wonder the world has ever seen. <laughs> like it's because that was the joke. It was just like, oh no, he's going to drop off next season. No, no, okay, no. Well, next season he's definitely going to drop off. No, 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 next season he's going to drop off, and it just hasn't happened yet. And I don't think it will. And speaking of talented forwards, I actually wanted to pick both your brains on one player. Uh, it's not a Liverpool player. I'm going to go over to Brentford, and specifically their current top scorer. Um, Ivan Tony, who, as I'm sure many of you remember, was sort of briefly linked with Liverpool in the summer. Um, impressive, impressive forward. He's got some. I'm just going to hit you all with some statistics now, again, if you don't mind. Uh, 31 goals and 10 assists in 45 games in the Championship last season with Brentford in their promotion-winning season. Uh, so far this this term, he's got two goals and two assists in six Premier League games. Um, just for the record, that puts him at an average of a goal and assist every 135 minutes. Uh, I'm going to compare that with Firmino's best season for Liverpool, which is in 2017-18. Uh, uh, 126 uh, goal and assist every 126 minutes for Firmino. Why am I mentioning Firmino? Uh, there's been a lot of comparisons made between the two players, uh, specifically in terms of their off-the-ball work, uh, the link-up play. Rick, I just wanted to get your thoughts on Tony, what you, what you made of him 
Because there has been the links there with Liverpool. And obviously he came in to replace Ollie Watkins, who's now at Villa, who, again, was rumoured to be a reported target for Liverpool. So it, just an interesting one there. Yeah, I just... I, I want to see how he performs um, at for, for a full season before being like, look, this is the guy that we need to, to be getting in. Um, you know, you, you're comparing the stats there, but like, you know, Firmino's done it for a few seasons now. Um, and I, for some reason, I just get this, this, this feeling of this is a player that played very well against us. Um, but so did, uh, did, so did Bogdan and, you know, and then we rushed in to sign Bogdan and then all of a sudden, like, it's like, oh, we've got this keeper on our books that we can't get rid of. You know what I mean? It's just one of those, like, we, we had this period where we signed so many players. Benteke was another one who always did well against us and just sort of like we signed him and then it was, oh, well, you know, I just don't want us to go back to that sort of reactionary knee-jerk signing. Um, I, You know, it, the, the stats look pretty promising on paper, but I want to see how he performs on a, on a longer basis uh, in top flight before we go, all right, now now is the time to jump on him. The downside of that is he's got another year of, of, of experience at that level. And so obviously his value and his stock is going to go up and it's going to be harder for us to, to sort of claw him off the likes of Brentford. But, you know, like I said, I was very impressed with him. I was very impressed with his link-up play, uh, finding space. It was just, yeah, it's in terms of finding someone who would fit that sort of Firmino role, like, I, yeah, I could I could see see it happening. Maybe not a complete like-for-like like replacement, but, like, you know, just because, I mean, Firmino is pretty much irreplaceable. Um, but, you know, in terms of someone to slot in there as a second choice backup then yeah why not absolutely obviously i think it's worth pointing out these are sort of very much surface level stats it is his sort of first sort of proper full season uh in the premier league i think he briefly featured uh for newcastle uh quite a few years ago but um steve same question to you like what, what were your thoughts on tony was there anything there that sort of specifically impressed you yeah um <clears throat> I mean, I wasn't surprised by the rumours at the end of the game. Like, um, he's a Liverpool fan. He played well against Liverpool. We are all of a sudden. Uh, he's being linked to a move to Liverpool. Um, yeah, he was impressive. Uh, I'll just base. I'll ignore the rumours for now. And yeah, he was impressive. Good player, combative. I like the look of him. Sharp. Seems to suit the Premier League so far. Very good. Yeah, can't say anything bad about him. Um, he played well against us. Um, and they're quite an exciting side, and he's quite an exciting player. Can't, it's 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 all very good. It looks very good. Um, in terms of the links to Liverpool, like Rick, I'm very sceptical. Um, it reminds me of Benteke, big time. Benteke was a player who always looked good. He looked fantastic against us. We signed him, we regretted it, and we sold him. Um, I don't want that to happen again, like Rick. Um, I feel like that's happened a few too many times when it came to strikers in Liverpool. Uh, Andy Carroll comes to mind, a man who's currently unattached. Um, and, yeah, I mean, to be honest, new signings are exciting. And, you know, we're in that era now where people seem to prefer new signings over putting faith into players in the squad at the minute. And... For me, I think I'd rather see Minamino be given a solid chance. Let's let's say the idea that is maybe bring Tony in, in in January. Let's just hypothetically speaking, forget that. Push it back to at least the summer. 
give Minamino a good chance to play that role, maybe at the expense of Divock Origi. I know Minamino is sort of similar in that sort of physicality as uh, as um, as Firmino, and this season he, he's got an eye for goal. I think his goal contributions is third or fourth for Liverpool. Obviously, that's it's helped by the League Cup, but you know he, he's having a really impressive season. So. Yeah, great player. Don't mind him being linked to Liverpool. Not really too sure I'm buying all the links at the minute with him being a Liverpool fan. Quite quite well-known Liverpool fan as well. He mentioned it on Instagram himself. So I'm not really focused too much on that. But it, yeah, he's an impressive player. But at the minute, I'm all right. I mean, like, I just... The, I completely agree with the with the, the tacky shout. Uh, he definitely needs more game time in higher profile matches uh, to sort of establish himself. But, but at the same time, I think there's definitely something to be said for um, signing Liverpool fans. And I'm not saying like, you know, every Liverpool fan should be like on the watch list because, you know, there's how many million, but, like, you know, and I'm, I'm definitely at the bottom of that list physically. Like I, you know, there's no chance that I'm uh, ever going to grace the turf at, uh, at Anfield. But, but in terms of like, you know, we, we had Ricky Lambert, I think is a is a sort of a, a key example of one of these players that we signed, possibly like, a bit wasted, but that was given that the circumstances changed after his signing because you know we we ended up getting Balotelli in and you know it's a very different sort of situation there. But like you know, if Lambert sort of gave his heart and soul to the club, knew when it was the right time to leave, um, and because you know it was for the good of the club, if anything. Like I think most players of his caliber if they were in his situation would have gone i'm on a decent paycheck here um you know i might as well just sort of sit out in the reserves but i think lambert with his love for the club probably knew that actually this is probably better for for every everyone involved um but then on the same side you got you like so harvey elliott who I mean, just look at his insta like every single match he's you know come on boys like, even though he's like you know he's he's not in and around the squad at the moment because of his injury he's still like he still loves the club that much that he's he's giving it all his all as a cheerleader, even though he's 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 not in and around uh, the AXA training center, Kirby. Uh, it's just like yeah, it yeah, yeah. There's something to be said about uh, getting someone who who loves the club because um, that's a that's a quality that you, that you have in short supply. You can't just get that from anywhere, you know. You, unless you're bringing in players through the academy who were born and raised in Liverpool. Um, you know, it's a quality that just is 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 it's like gold dust, and having that sort of do or die because it's it's not just something that the the, the manager is putting to you, or your other teammates are putting to you, because like, this is something that you you love with all your heart. Like you know, so it, that 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 if it gives you that extra ten percent um, on the pitch, then you know that's an extra ten percent that you're not going to get from signing someone from from you know. Dutch second division or, or for the championship that you know is is a fan of their local club or whatever it may be no absolutely I think you've hit the nail on the head there Rick when you you're looking at sort of that Liverpool connection now obviously Michael Edwards and the recruitment team aren't going to be going out there and going right well he's a Liverpool fan he'll do a job for us you know that that will only as you both rightly pointed out work to a certain extent but it is advantageous you're not just looking you know as, as you've said in terms of giving that sort of perhaps extra 10%, you know, it, it, it meaning more to you. But also if you look at things sort of like contract talks, you know, you're, more, you're probably more likely to be able to sort of convince them to go, you know, stay here for the long term. You know, you love the club, you breathe the club, so on and so forth. 
And whilst we're currently in the business of making comparisons, uh, there was one man who, who stood out for some Liverpool fans uh, post-game, uh, and that is, of course, uh, Brentford manager Thomas Frank. Uh, Klopp specifically spoke about uh, uh, the Brentford boss uh, and sort of made comparisons between uh, his time at Mines and the work Frank has done with Brentford. Uh, he, he said, and I quote, how they recruit, how different they are, how much they show, even with lesser money, it's really possible to create something really special. It reminds me a lot on the time at Mines when I was there because we had no money. We had to be creative in the transfer market. A few Liverpool fans on Twitter, uh, including our very own Rick Elliott, uh, commented on the on the manager. I believe, Rick, uh, you said yourself you noted sort of similarities in, in the play style, the intensity, uh, just the general attitude on display. Now, obviously, this is an almost premature discussion in the sense that Klopp's contract isn't set to expire until 2024. That may not even be the exact expiry point if uh, the manager does decide to stay for longer. But, you know... Was it, what sort of appealed to you about the style of play on offer? You know, did, what sort of would you agree that there are those that strong that strong level of similarities in place? Look, I, I so uh, it's a very sort of like uh, attacking team. Like he, he definitely tried to sort of overload the defense uh, in the game to to sort of capitalize on a on a defense that was not a hundred percent. I think it's fair to say, but. You know, it's 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 the it's the intensity of it all. It's the the free flowing play style that they play. Um, it's that sort of uh, never give up attitude that the the players seem to have, especially when they're going up against these top teams because you know they're they're the newcomers. So it's like, all right, well, we've got to like really prove ourselves. But it's that level of sorts that those those marginal things where I think they if we brought in Thomas Frank as a as a manager, it would be. Obviously, there would still be a transitional phase, but it's it's not as if you are going to a big Sam style type of play or a Mourinho or like you know what I mean. Like it's it's there's a, it's it's the the transition period would be as severe. It would it would like slowly ease in from one style of play to another, like slightly uh, slightly um, like you know, fluid, not fluidly, but you know what I mean. Um, but I mean, really, we we need to be aspiring to like a higher level of manager, um, because all credit to, to Thomas Frank for what he's done. But like you know, really, a team like Liverpool should be looking for someone like Zidane, Simeone, like, it just like, one of those high the highest caliber of manager that would we would be able to to bring in. Um, you know, Gerard is the sort of romantic choice, but I mean, it's uh, you know he's he's not even proven himself just yet i mean he's, he's had a few good seasons at rangers but you know europe is still sort of eluding him um it's you know you've got pep linders who you know he knows the players he knows the the, the training style and the, the tactical side of things uh, but the but the problem with with linders is like he on a, on an individual level has not really proven himself at, at, at uh, you know a high level it's he had a less than stellar record at uh, nec um, where he failed to 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 reach the the well, promotion through the the playoffs. Yeah, it's you know it's, it's it, getting in Thomas Frank would be one of those where it's like he'd be near the top of my list, but he wouldn't be the top. It would be sort of like that if you had a list of ten candidates, then he'd probably be about four or five maybe. Um, 
yeah, but you, you'd definitely be going for trying to poach one of those European elite managers if you wanted to continue the success that Liverpool have had over recent seasons. Otherwise, you might end up in a sort of Brendan Rodgers situation where, you know, if you're trying to lure in a player from Europe at the moment, it's like, I want to play for Klopp. You know, the whole reason why Mbappe 2022 or whatever like is, is, a, is a thing is because we have Klopp to lure in a player like it, yeah it's a pipe dream it's a meme we all know that but the whole reason why he wants to come in is because Klopp is Klopp he's he's the the guy that's achieved miracles with like the the financial levels that he's had and I know that like someone like one of the reasons why we struggled to sign players during Rogers's era, even though we had 13, 14, even though we had Suarez playing for us, even though we were playing some great football and we were beating the likes of Man City and Chelsea or whatever, like it's, um, it's the fact that like, it's like, who, who's this guy that's, that's managing us. Like it doesn't, it's not a name that, that, I mean, now that he's managing at Leicester, it's a little bit different, but even then it's still not like a, the household name in say Spain or, you know, like you've mentioned Brendan Rogers in America and most of them, unless they're a Liverpool fan, probably wouldn't know who that is. Um, you know, if you say Klopp, they might have heard that, but only because of his larger than life personality. Zidane, definitely one of those kind of players or managers, sorry, that they'll have heard of. I mean, I'm, that might come off as a bit of a, you know, a, I'm, I'm just talking about like general population of like football fans that maybe not supporting a team but just like super casual player fans and so like yeah it's just I, Thomas Frank isn't one of those kind of names that will resound through football until he's until he's being given the opportunity at a bigger club and I think it's only at that stage where we would consider bringing him in uh, I think if we brought him in any, any sooner than that, then it might be a little bit of a hindrance to us. No, it, it is very early days and, and in, a, in a similar respect to, obviously, uh, Ivan Tony, who we discussed earlier. I think what makes what, ma- what makes him interesting, and, and you touched on personality there, and you're right, you know, that part of the reason why Klopp is, is such an attractive manager isn't just because tactically he's incredibly sound, you know, he's... He's such a personality, you know. He's he's a player that you know. Sorry, not a player, a manager. Pardon me. Uh, that the fans love, the players love. And what's interesting about Thomas Frank is, to a certain degree, there are similarities there in terms of their sort of personal ethos. I mean, uh, take this quote for example. Um, so this is back from when I believe he first took over the, the head coach role at Brentford. So, as a person, I'm very open, very human minded. That's one part. Uh, the other thing is I love details in football. I want to develop a style of play. I want to create a beautiful game, but I'm very focused on how you can create a fantastic culture, a fantastic environment. Uh, I'm very happy I'm at a club who want to do both. Um, certainly the, the, the general perception seems to be he, he prizes that emotional connection at the club with, you know, with, with the fan base. It's not just sort of this sort of cold persona of you know i'm here to develop the ta- develop, deliver the tactics and and that's it i don't want anything to do outside of the game um i mean steve what what, what do you make of thomas frank yeah i thought he was an interesting character you know i thought i think his brand of football is quite attractive um i think he's just another one of those managers though that's having his minute to be perfectly honest with you um i'm not particularly interested in talks of him coming to liverpool 
not a bad shout certainly i can see the reasons why i can see why he's sort of gained that attraction but yeah he's done a great job with brentford but at the end of the day Stephen Gerrard is in a better position than him and like Rick said Stephen Gerrard has not really proved himself to the level where he should be considered for the Liverpool job um, and like Rick said to be honest with you we, if we were looking at Klopp's replacement I mean three years is a long time like you say his contract runs out as it stands in three years and that's when we'll be looking in three years he might have managed Spurs for the season and then maybe um, but I'm not. I'm not. It's it's similar to the to the Tony chat, like like you you alluded to there. It's 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 reactionary, you know. But it, it is just it is just discussion among fans, of course. I like him as a character. He seems alright. Um, one thing that would really sway him for me though is if he came out against the fans that were singing some uh, very unfortunate chants about um, the benefit system and sort of how people of Liverpool somewhat. Um, perhaps benefit from that more than others, which is somewhat, you know, uh, unfounded. But um, some very unfortunate chance. If he came out against that and said, listen, stop being big Tories, I'd be like, yeah, that actually, that, that's the fella right there who should be the uh, manager of Liverpool. But, um, you know, if you, if, you, if you do a quick Google search or a quick search on Twitter, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I, um, I wrote a little tweet about it as well, so it's not too hard to find out what I'm talking about. Now, as we say, sort of a premature chat to a certain degree. You know, Klopp's going to be here for the next three years, uh, hopefully even longer. And uh, speaking of things that we don't really want to see generally sort of happening, uh, there have been sort of general discussions in the Premier League about expanding into other markets and talking specifically about playing competitive fixtures abroad. Uh, so the early chats seem to be just about the possibility of, of a pre-season tournament uh, being played in uh, in America in the summer, uh, with the long-term goal being, of course, playing an actual fixture or a series of fixtures in a sort of uh, larger markets like America, China, India, so on and so forth. It, it, it almost seems like a compromise between the league and the art- architects of the failed breakaway European Super League. Uh, Rick, what are your thoughts on this? It, it just stinks of um, just people making money for the sake of making money. Um, we've we've already, I mean, Klopp, number of times Klopp's come out and said, look, I don't like preseason tournaments. I don't like traveling abroad necessarily, um, you know, and going to the, the far corners of the world. Yes, Liverpool have fans all over the place. Yes, I know that there'll be people listening to this very podcast who might be, you know, in, in Southeast Asia or, you know, in America or wherever. But, um, you know, the, the going to see those those fans comes at a cost from a sports science point of view. Um, you know, all that traveling has, you know, the, the, has damage on on the, the players' recovery times and all that kind of stuff. It's just, if you're going to go with something like this, then the players have to be, first and at the front and center of this and they have to be the ones to agree to this Um, but that won't be the case you know that won't be the case because it's it's all about trying to make as much money as possible like you say it's probably some sort of compromise between the super league breakaway clubs and the premier league just like you know okay how can we make this you know smooth this over how can we make this all go away ultimately you know the 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 reason why Klopp loves going to Austria is because it's quite near and you know it's quite scenic, so the players can sort of really 
relax, taking the nice mountain views, and they're not going to be disturbed by anyone. Um, not to say that you know foreign fans are going to be a disturbance, but you know it's 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 not just training preseason training. It's not just a quick like friendly match. It's right. Well, we've got to go and do this thing for Subway where you know Daniel Sturridge and Jordan Henderson are going to make sandwiches, and it's this you know this promo thing where you know we've got we're going to do a hip hop quiz, and it's it's the it's the media demands and the sponsorship demands on top of all of that that take it an extra level and if you're going right now this is a the preseason tournament and also we can't afford to take it easy because you know having a actually competitive match means that more and more uh, tickets will be sold you know the viewership figures might be higher it's, something's got to give and I, I we're already seeing players i mean with the exact uh, the exception of you know your ronaldo's your your salas that are like putting their bodies through everything to be at the peak pinnacle position that they could possibly be you know you look at say Wayne Rooney or Theo Walker these are players that started very very young and have retired probably a little bit younger than what they would have done you know if they were playing 10 years before you know like those kind of players when they when they were coming into the game later they were finishing in the game later and you know, if we if we just put more and more demand on on the players, then I think footballers' playing careers are going to be uh, are going to be shorter. We're going to get lower quality football overall. It's just not. You're just in the long run, you're damaging the very products that you're wanting to sell. I, I think you've. I mean, you've rightly pointed out that there are two sides uh, to the, this coin. You know, it the, the, it will open opportunities for Liverpool's global fan base, which is a positive to a certain degree but then there is that impact on the players the players just aren't really sort of being considered as part of the process I and mean, we've seen this with the discussions around the world cup you know the idea of having the world cup every two years it, you just you always think well how the <laughs> how are we looking after the players here you know it, it seems that they're, they're being considered as an afterthought whereas they should be they should be organized around them they should be a sort of a central consideration i mean steve is there sort of any major sort of positives to glean from this or is it just a wholly bad idea don't get me wrong i love when um liverpool go on tour to like asia americas you know uh, anywhere in the world where liverpool fans are and they get to play an exhibition match they get to see the players love it love seeing the videos of liverpool fans all over the world getting excited about the team but when it comes to playing Domestic games in other countries, it just seems a bit daft to me. Basically, I, I I would spend the next two minutes echoing everything Rick just said about the sports science side of things. He's absolutely right. You know, the players have to come first. You can't be as much as, you know, I, I get it. I get it. These fans in other countries, and it's not them that's pushing for it. I'm sure there'll be a good number of them fans as well that are thinking, no, no, don't come over here if it means you're going to be knackered in next week's game. Just, you know, I'm sure there's some fans that are arguing that as well in, in these countries that would potentially, you know, they'd, they'd benefit from maybe playing around the corner. But the thing is as well, I, I very much doubt it's going to be Liverpool versus Burnley that's going to get played in New York. It's going to be the Northwest Derby, Liverpool versus Manchester United. Now, Imagine denying that to the the local fans, uh, the fans that travel week in week out. Obviously, it's a, it's, it's a, it's definitely a luxury to be able to do that. Certainly, um, 
a benefit as well to anyone in the area or anyone fortunate enough to be able to fork out that account that amount of money um maybe i'm not too sure what the answer is to be honest i know the only thing that i know is that liverpool are not the boston boston cutlow process that's not us you know what i mean we're not we're not sort of going around the world to put on these shows for people with it we're to win we're to win trophies we're not there to put a show on for everyone around the world but yeah i mean like rick said klopp likes his um his pre-seasons to take place in Austria. If like more of these pre-seasons were made in an attempt to go to these countries that don't get to see Liverpool play because they can't afford to travel because obviously it's expensive. If Liverpool played their games in America, I could not afford to travel to go to these games. So I completely understand. Um, maybe if we could see some more pre-season uh, tournaments uh, taking place in these countries that we have seen in not so much recent years, but certainly over the last decade, we've seen some take part in Asia, some in America. I know there was a lovely preseason game, Liverpool Manchester United, that was a, a you know a bit of a blockbuster game. I'd like to see stuff like that. As I say, I love seeing the foreign fans, the fans from abroad, enjoying Liverpool. It, it's it's brilliant, but we can't really be taken taken away from the players that already give so much, you know, to the club. Uh, and all of its fans across the world. We can't be continually taken from these players, making them retire earlier, making them get more injuries for the sake of entertainment. It's just not right. Absolutely. I, I, oh, sorry, I was I was just going to say, um, like you know, all these all these fans that are like like see you saying like in in these countries that uh, uh, you know it's it's very difficult to to come to Anfield, and you know we are quite privileged uh, to live like be born in a, in a country that's you know ha, that coincidentally has like you know the the, the team that we want to see uh you know being able to just sort of get on get on a train or go, go like you know just get on a bus uh to go and watch them if you can get tickets um but like at the end of the day there are some things that are just like that are bigger than than you know going to see the play and, and you know this this comes from like a place of of privilege and you know I, I i respect that like you know not everyone has the opportunities to go and see them like like we have um so i just wanted to sort of like make that clear that like you know it's it's not a it's not a slight on on foreign fans um you know it's just and really to, the people to blame for all of this are the fa and spurs because because they're the ones <laughs> who are facilitating uh the the nfl coming over here and playing you know a few games league games over here if that wasn't a thing i don't think this conversation would even be happening so i'm not blaming you know foreign fans for wanting this i'm i'm, I'm blaming i'm purely blaming the fa and spurs and no yeah. one could stop me 100 100 i mean if fans abroad are getting excited by the idea of liverpool coming i i completely understand it i completely understand why they'd want it of course 100 it is all about the powers that be just looking for more money. And that that's the problem right there. If the players are going to suffer, I can't agree to it. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a problematic concept uh, for a number of reasons, as you, have you, both, as you both rightfully uh, highlighted. Fortunately, it's probably not something that we're going to have to deal with um, for a few years yet. But of course, something coming up in the immediate future is our upcoming Champions League group stage fixture against FC Porto. Uh, should be an interesting one uh, against the uh, Portuguese outfit. Uh, so they drew their opening uh, Champions League group game against Atletico Madrid. Um, so it, it would suggest they're not going to just roll over for us. Having said that, we have played them six times uh, previously in the competition, won four games, drew two of them. 
Uh, I think our most recent victory was a 6-1 aggregate win in the quarterfinals in the year that we actually won the competition. Steve, how are you feeling about it? I'm excited. Um, I love playing Porto. Last few years, it's been great playing Porto. Um, but, you know, you, you can't take anything. In the Champions League, you get to the Champions League because you are one of the best teams in on the continent. So, there's no mistake Porto were there. There's no mistake Porto got a result against Atletico Madrid. They are a good team. Don't let the previous uh, results fool anybody. They're going to be a tough a tough game. Um, Milan proved themselves to be a tough game and they're also in that calibre of, again, one of the best teams in Europe. There are no easy games in this group. You could argue maybe when Porto come to Anfield, that might be the easiest game of the group. But even then, to say that's the easiest game in the group, is, is unbelievable. We're, we're in a very tough group and I don't think anyone's particularly happy to be facing each other at this stage. But it's it's great for the neutrals. Um, you fancy Liverpool to to hopefully um, win the majority of our games. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. It's, it's it's more Champions League football. Obviously, Liverpool travelling to, to Portugal, not too far. It could be a lot further away. Uh, not bad. I'm excited. Um, just before we went live as well, um, today... Um, Monday afternoon. Uh, it was confirmed that Naby Keita has attended uh, training and was um, he looked all right to me. Um, don't know whether it's going to be too soon for him uh, to start, but I mean, it's a good bit of news. Um, you love to see that. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for the game. Absolutely. I think, you know, as you've rightly pointed out, just to get to this stage alone, you've got to be a decent, you know, quality side. You know, they're, I think they're, they're second in the uh, Primera League, to my knowledge, having uh, won their Won five games, drawn two. Um, tough competition potentially, but could could they pose? Um, perhaps do you reckon that could you see them being more challenging than our sort of opening uh, game against AC Milan, Rick? Um, I mean, I I I I still to this day haven't seen the full uh, AC Milan game because I I missed that. Um, but I mean, based on like wh- how they've been performing recently, I mean, I. As Steve rightly pointed out, you know we've had some we've had some big results against them uh, in in recent years, but like they're, they're not the they're not the same team anymore. They're not going to be an absolute pushover like they have been. Um, you know, like we're in a situation where uh, the, the the Porto aren't the same side that they they used to be. And uh, I mean, I was looking at the the lineup uh, that we uh, that uh, I think it was was it Steve? Did you did you put that predicted lineup out? Uh, Porto, yes, yes, for Porto. You know, I, I, I don't want to sort of skip ahead, but like, I, I feel like a more physical presence might be needed uh, to sort of see them off, especially given how how the, the Brentford game went. Um, I think I'm, I, I want to sort of say like the the controversial choice of giving Van Dijk a rest in a Champions League game. Uh, bringing in Kanate as a sort of strong, powerful sort of force in the in the uh, in the defence. Again, resting Matip. I think it's uh, we've played him one too many games um, in recent times. Yes, he did have like a nice nine nine day sabbatical of sorts because that's pretty much like uh, in terms of rest for Matip. Then you know that's as it comes until he gets injured. Yes, I know that you know he's in form, so he, it's best to keep playing him. But like you know he. He needs a rest and needs a, a significant rest. Um, so, like, you know, I'd, I'd love to see Gomez playing um, again and just sort of having a quite strong physicality to it. 
uh, whilst giving Van Dyke a rest. I think that's the, that's pretty much your only your only option, really, if you want to do that. But yeah, I, I think that uh, Porto are going to be quite uh, intense. It's, I mean, you don't want to underestimate them. Um, looking at the previous results is just going to give you a false sense of security when, you know, in, in this group, it is the group of death. It's been rightly called the group of death. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to take anything for uh, take anything for, for granted. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, we played at the weekend against Brentford. So I think it's safe to say we're probably going to see some changes Steve, could you see any surprises being made? Yeah, I, th- I think the big surprise that we could be in for is, is as as Rick said, there Van Dyke getting a, um, Van Dyke and Matty potentially getting a rest. Um, yeah, I think it's possible that we could see Gomez and Canate starting the game. Um, don't get me wrong, no, I, I think Matty is in need of a rest a bit more than Van Dyke because I think Van Dyke, while he might not be playing at a hundred percent. He's playing at about 90, 99%. He's, he's not far off. Like, um, I think the idea that Matty might get injured, because we've seen it before, he plays too many games and he's gone for a month. It's 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 a pain. I think Klopp will want to avoid that. And I think Virgil, uh, I don't, obviously I don't know him personally, but knowing the way he seems to be, he's probably going to be the kind of player now that is probably going to be annoyed at the last game and want to immediately get back. Uh, and perform um, similar to probably how Salah's feeling after a couple of missed chances against the Brentford game. Uh, I think um, the midfield presence, um, yeah, Henderson and Fabinho. You know, I, I think I think they need to be in there, strong players. And you know, love Curtis Jones. Would love to see him play. But if Naby Keita is deemed fit, I think he's more of a physical presence. He's, he's quite strong on the ball. I could see him getting the nod. But it depends on the fitness of James Milner as well. He's a Mr. Reliable. Wouldn't mind seeing him in midfield as well. Obviously, it doesn't look like we're going to be seeing Thiago, unfortunately. He, he missed training. But, um, yeah, I, I think a strong midfield is what we're going to need. And I think, at times, that was probably what we were lacking against Brentford. Porto are not going to be a pushover. And the least of my concerns is who starts up front because all of our forwards are flying this season. Put any of our three players up there, they'll score. Put Origi up there, they'll score. I don't care. Anyone will do it. What would you say to that, Rick? Uh, could could you see any sort of uh, different sort of changes from Klopp, or would you sort of largely agree with uh, what, what Steve's gone with there? Yeah, I'd largely agree. Um, I, yeah, you're right. The forwards are, are flying. Um, Kaita, yeah, you'd, you'd love to see him, but it might be a little bit too soon. Milner, I mean, yeah, you'd love to see him play, but can he can he keep it going for the full ninety minutes? against a, a, a team that are going to be, like I say, quite intense. I'd love to see Jones be rewarded for, for how he performed. But at the same time, what, if you can try and get someone a little bit more stronger and like, you know, a little bit more physical on the ball, like I said, Kaita is that player. But it's just whether he's going to be fit or not. Defensively, yeah. Uh, I'd rather see Matip play against City than you know, uh, midweek. I'd rather give him another break. Um, but it's 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 very much a case of I I, I don't want to expect anything from Klopp because he'll you know, if I make a if I say oh this is a nailed on team he'll surprise me and throw in like a curveball or probably play Minamino or someone like that but yeah I I, I think what Steve said is is pretty much spot on bit of a a, a refresh in in defense hopefully characters injury free by that point but I I don't think that will be the case forwards pretty much pick themselves 
uh, unfortunately, I don't think Bobby's going to going to start. I think it'll be Jota instead. But yeah, it's uh, I think apart from apart from that, it's it's pretty much sort of yeah nailed on. I mean, it's a fixture that's historically yielded a lot of goals for us. And with that in mind, I'm, I'm going to throw this back to you again, uh, Rick. You know, what's your score prediction? I'm going to say two one. I don't think it'll be the the high flying games that we've seen of of yesteryear. It'll be yeah you know, a lot. It's a hard fought game. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic that we can get a result. But it's just a case of how we we if if we score early on, then maybe a, a high scoring game might be on the cards if their if their confidence is just gone. But that's going to require flying out of the gate, getting an early goal. You know, just sort of beating them into submission by half time. But I don't think we'll do that. And so I think a, a low scoring two one maybe, uh, especially if the if the defense is a bit sort of rusty or not quite gelling because it's still, if you're throwing in Canate with Gomez, it's still a fairly new pairing. So yeah, it's 2-1, two, 2-1. One, two, one. What do you reckon, Steve? Are you feeling as as cautious or could you see this being a, more of a high scoring fixture? <laughs> you know, 2-1 sounds very realistic, but based on performances that I've seen this season from from us and also the way other teams have attacked us as well, I'm going to go just one up on both sides and say 3-2 to Liverpool. I feel like there's going to be some goals in the game because that's just been the way it has been this season. 2-1 is probably the right score, to be honest with you. And if you'd offered it to me now, I'd, I'd snap your hand backwards, you know what I mean? But um, yeah, I feel like I feel like 3-2 is the one. What about you, Phil? Well, I mean, if you're going off recent history, we bizarrely seem to do better at Porto than we do at, do at Anfield. Um with that in mind, I've actually got uh, my predicted score pre-written. It's sort of more or less firmly wedged between the pair of you. I've gone for a, a three-one victory. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that is, yeah, that's pretty much spot on the yeah, middle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? But anyway, uh, we'll we'll be uh, looking at that fixture and uh, Premier League action again next week, of course. But for now, that's all we have time for today. So thank you to Steve and Rick for joining me today. We hope you've all thoroughly enjoyed this latest instalment of the Red Nets podcast and uh, feel free to hit that subscribe button to get all the latest stories completely ad-free every Friday. Take care for now.